I'll be reading the New Revised Standard Version of Romans 12, verses 1 through 21. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
Yes, thank you, Chet, for pulling double duty. And that, that clock is one of the things that have uh, gotten missed uh, in uh, regathering. You know, there's, there's a lot that happens at Spring Creek, and there's a lot that happens uh, throughout the week, and uh, especially on Sunday morning, that you only become aware of when you start to gather again and have to figure it all out again. Um, so that's one of the things that is not on a checklist yet for someone, and uh, so thank you for doing that this morning. Well, there, there's a lot to be said, and there's a lot to get through um, looking at this text this morning. Uh, just a little bit by way of review, over the last several weeks we have been talking about one of those things that is hard to talk about in the church, and that is politics. In particular, how we as a church are called to live and act and sometimes engage in uh, political structures in our world. We talked in the first week about how the church, followers of Jesus, how we are often guilty of idolatry, that is, putting our trust and our hope in other powers besides Jesus, that we trust in political expediency, we trust in politicians for some reason, and policies and programs often more than we trust in Jesus to change hearts and lives. I think we're tempted to do this because we aren't always sure we trust what we say we believe. <clears throat> we say Jesus is Lord. And we believe that that is good news for the world, that one day everything will be made right. But in the meantime, it seems like we often choose to trust in the expediency of nation-state politics. And so we need to examine our faith and our faithfulness. We talked in that first week how idolatry is not new to the American church. It's not new to, it's not something we invented as Americans. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, it's hard to cough right now when everyone goes, oh no. Sorry. Um, placing, uh, we, we've, we've been a long line of going back to the fourth century of the church placing hope and trust in kings and empires. And beyond that, we're part of God's people who rejected God as king, going back even to ancient Israel and back to the beginning of humanity, who chose to do things on their own outside of God's will. Last week, we looked at Romans 13, uh, which talks about the role of government, basically uh, to limit chaos, make the best of a bad situation. Um, maybe in the best case scenarios, we catch maybe a glimpse, a very fractured, distorted view of justice, of what God's justice might actually be. And we looked at Romans 13 and how God does periodically work through nation states to bring about God's will, but without endorsing or approving of the violence caused by the nation state. This morning we are now kind of working our way backwards in Romans. Last week was Romans 13. But I want us to see Romans 13 in the context of what Paul is writing about. And so we're going to look at Romans 12 this morning. As we do that, would you pray with me? 
Jesus, I thank you for who you are, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you are Lord and Savior. And as that, we ask that you would help us to put our faith and our trust in you and in you alone. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we look at Romans chapter 12, you know, I want to remind us that chapters and verses in the Bible are later editions uh, by editors and translators to make it easier for us as modern readers to all flip to the text and begin in the same place. But those chapters and verses, Paul didn't put them in, right? He didn't stop and, and, and put all those little numbers in the text that is done later. And often that is very helpful for us because I don't read a lot of Greek and you don't read a lot of Greek or Hebrew. And so we can all turn to our Bibles and go to the same spot and we can all be referencing the same portion of the text together. Sometimes those numbers are very helpful, but sometimes they divide the text in ways that, are, that aren't very helpful. And Romans 13 and Paul's words about the role of the nation state, uh, this is one of those places. They come after Paul's words to the followers of Jesus, that is the church in Romans 12. And so when we look at what Paul has to say about government in Romans 13, we kind of need to set that in the context of what Paul has just written before that. Romans 12 is kind of a transition in the book of Romans. Paul has talked about what Jesus has done, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and what that means for us as followers of Jesus, what that means as far as justification and, and reconciliation with God, because Jesus has paid the price that was ours to pay. Because Jesus conquered death and the grave and sin, Paul makes a transition at the beginning of Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. He basically says, so because of what Jesus has done, now go live like this. Remember back uh, at the beginning of this series, we, we gave a definition to what we mean by politics. Politics is a way of organizing a social group. It is a set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups. In other words, here are Paul's and Jesus's a portion of their politics. How this society called the church is called to live. And Paul begins by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Or the NIV version says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. See, followers of Jesus are supposed to live a different sort of life. Do not be conformed, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, the church is set apart. That's one of the words that was used for, for church, meant the called out ones, those that are 
called out to live a different sort of life. Not just to be different for different sake. Not as an exclusive, closed country club with, with dues. If you want to be a part of a country club, you're going to have to go across the street. Um, but that's not what the church is called to be. Ancient Israel and now the church are called to be different in order to bless. Professor and author Lee Camp says, Israel and the church in the biblical tradition are different, not for the sake of being different, not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of service and witness to the true goods of human history, which for Lee Camp and what he's pointing towards is Jesus. We are called to service and witness pointing people to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, as part of the Church of the Brethren, we, we have this Anabaptist heritage, this Anabaptist tradition, and much of that is, a, is, is beautiful. It, it, it has um, really drawn me and, and kept me as a part of uh, this branch of, of faith because I believe it's a, a faithful uh, interpretation of how to live and how to be faithful to Jesus, but often this portion of Scripture, do not conform, has meant that we are called to disengage completely from culture. And so, for example, the the Amish and the plain Mennonites and the plain brethren still believe they can withdraw completely from culture. In other words, they believe we're going to go over here and live our holy huddle, our little pious life, and the rest of you can go you know where. That's essentially what they are saying. But Paul does not abandon culture. Paul uses metaphors for, uh, he uses sporting metaphors, he uses military metaphors, he can speak with Greek philosophers, He knows how to to tap into the culture when it's going to help him connect with people and point people to Jesus. Jesus didn't abandon or withdraw from the culture. That was an option that Jesus had in his world. There were groups of Jews who thought the temple was so disgusting that it had been so corrupted that they were choosing to leave it all behind and go out into the wilderness. It was a group of people Uh, that was named after the time of Jesus, called the Essenes. And they were a group of people that that believed that. They went out into the wilderness, and they lived their holy life out, separated from everyone else. See, Paul and Jesus, they didn't fit that pattern either. They refused to conform to the way the world was, But they didn't just reject it all and leave it behind. Jesus doesn't answer the questions the way people want him to. Paul says, place yourselves under the authorities. That's what Romans 13 was about. But he doesn't go and just do whatever the authorities tell him to do. When they tell him to stop preaching the good news, he says, I I can't do that. So what is this pattern of the world? as it relates to nation-states. What is this pattern that we're called to not conform to? 
Jesus says in Matthew 20, verses 24 through 26. He's, he, this is a, a story where two of the disciples have come along with mom, and mom gets involved and she says, you know, can you put one of my sons at your right hand and one of my sons at your left hand when you come into your kingdom? And here the text says, when the ten heard this, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, but not so with you. See, nation-state politics rely on lording over others. What do people want from their favored presidential candidate? They want them to put into place their agenda and enforce it. But Jesus says, not so with you. Another pattern that maybe we are called to open our eyes to is militarism, where a nation state enforces its agenda on others, sometimes in the language of good versus evil, sometimes in the language of the good of all, sometimes wrapped even in gospel language. But this morning we are looking at Paul's words in Romans 12 to the church. Not just words for individual private piety. These are the ethics, the way of organizing and making decisions in the kingdom of God. And so let me, verse 9 in Romans 12. It says, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And skipping then to the, uh, the end of chapter 12. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. I've been asked a lot of times what that part means, and I struggle with that line. I'll just tell you, I struggle with that line. I'm not sh- entirely sure we'll save that dissection of that text for another day. But finally in verse 21... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, but not so with you. After this, Romans 12, then Paul moves on to our text from last week. And so in our nonconformity, in our being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, in our subverting of the powers that be, in our not-so-with-you that Jesus calls us to, Paul reminds the church that they're not supposed to overthrow the government. That's what he means at the beginning of Romans 13. 
You're not called to be like them. You're called to a different way of living. But in your differentness, you're not called to raise up arms and now go throw off the oppressor with violence. Not so with you. See, the sword is the tool of the state, but it is not the tool of the church. Jesus said, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. If we are to live a different pattern of life, and if we are also not called to withdraw from society, and you and I live in the United States, and thankfully, this empire asks for the input of those that live here in voting and, and civic engagement. And certainly this could be part of seeking the best, not only for those that live here, but seeking the best of our brothers and sisters. And church, we don't have geographic borders. And so this could be a part of seeking the best for brothers and sisters that, li- that are citizens of this country and those beyond. But remember, the church, or the kingdom of God, goes beyond those borders. So how does the church engage the politics of the United States? Very carefully. And with great discernment. Because we do not baptize nation-states And we do not baptize policies or platforms. They don't fit into the tank up here. They don't confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. They don't commit themselves to following Jesus as Lord. They don't commit to giving their time, talent, and treasure to the building up of the church. Ultimately, policies and platforms don't transform lives. Only Jesus can take the broken and make it new. Jesus is Lord. Rather, the church is called to be a prophetic witness, to speak the truth to power, to be the conscience of the state. Every king needs a prophet. It happens all throughout Scripture. David, who's you know, the man after God's own heart, he still needs the prophet Nathan to call him to account, to say, you know what? You have screwed up royally. Get it? Because he's the king. He screwed up royally. <laughs> the prophet has to call him to account. Ahaz, an evil king, has Elijah to to help reveal the truth to Israel that Yahweh is God. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, other prophets, even even foreign kings, the kings that, that hold the people in exile, have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to speak truth to them, to reveal that they don't have ultimate control. Even in the New Testament, Herod has John the baptizer who speaks truth to him. 
not court prophets who tell kings and empires what they want to hear. We see some of those in the Old Testament too. Kings who, who kind of line up their buddies as the prophets and, and when they, they ask what's God's will, they, they tell the king what he wants to hear. But they're not the real prophets. The church should be in a position to call out evil no matter what party. The church should be able to distinguish unethical behavior no matter the candidate. Church, we're called to a different kind of life. And and I get that there's all kinds of rhetoric. I get that there's all kinds of things happening. I get that it's hard to have a civil conversation with folks that aren't the same political party as you. Not so with you. Not so with you. In these next few moments, we're going to take some time for reflection. And uh, as Judy plays through this hymn, the, the words are going to be on the screen. But the hymn is Heart with Loving Heart United. We're called as the people of God, as those who have committed to following Jesus, to put our hope and our trust in Him, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to love one another, to overcome evil, not with evil, but to overcome evil with good. And so let's take some time to reflect on what God is saying to each one of us this morning.
Come November, after the election, Romans 12 will still call the church not to conform to the pattern of the world. Romans 13 will still call the church to place ourselves in subordination and not overthrow the government. There will be ways that we will need to work with the authorities for the good of all. And there will be ways we must speak the truth to power. The church must give our faithfulness to God. And the church must still declare, Jesus is Lord. Let me say one more thing about the prophets before we go. I usually get a little excited when we start talking about speaking the truth to power. It sounds great. It sounds a little bit radical and, and, and yeah, we're going to you know, stick it to the man. And sometimes that sounds good. But I want to remind us, more than a few kings don't like to hear the truth from a prophet. More than a few prophets die for speaking the truth. It can be a costly proposition. But some good news, it puts us in great company. Jesus gave his life for the life of the world. The kingdom of God follows in the footsteps of the king. And Jesus invites us to take up our cross, to count the cost and follow Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's incredibly exciting to think about what the church can do in the world. I think it's exciting to think about how we can continue to bear witness to the kingdom of God, how we can continue to point people to Jesus, introducing them to another way of living in obedience to Jesus. May we be people who break with the patterns of this world. Not so with you. Do not be conformed. Learn to be the servant of all. And may we be people who in our differentness serve and witness to the Lordship of Jesus the Christ. Have a great week, Spring Creek.